Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. What is up today on the show? We've got a returning guest. He's a multiple-time British Open champion whose voice you'll hear a lot more from moving forward as he's getting his own serious XM PGA Tour radio show. He is Greg Norman. Greg, thanks for joining me. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Or good afternoon, wherever you are in this world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's morning for you. It's still morning for me here in New York, but you're in Colorado, right? Yeah, correct. I uh, come out here to my ranch um, every summer, spend the entire summer out here, so uh, it's a pretty special place to be, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I saw a, a, a photo you posted on Twitter, I think, yesterday. It looks pretty gorgeous out there right now. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, now, what I'm first curious about is is how this deal comes about. Does Sirius contact you and say, Greg, we, we got a show idea for you. Do you contact Sirius and say, hey... I want to do a show for you. Um, well, I think it was really the the you know, former, really. Service Radio actually enticed me to, a few years ago, to see if I would be interested in doing a you know, PJ show, uh, PJ Tour um, Service Radio show. And I said, no, look, I'm not really interested in just talking specifically about golf um, show after show. Um, and I and I said, look, if I would consider it, and this is a few years ago, if I would consider it, it would have to be a 360 view um, on what I've done in life. Yes, golf would be part of it, uh, but also a 360 view from uh, sport and business, politics, my celebrity friends, um, you know, leaders that I know around the world that I would hopefully be able to entice on the program to be able to talk about their visions and my um and what I've done on uh, you know, a global basis from a, you know, going from different countries and experiencing different things. So by suggesting the 360 view, um, the Attack Life Radio with Greg Norman really started to develop a bit of traction. And then I had to be very cognizant of my ROT, return on time. You know, doing these shows is, is great, but I have a lot of other things going on in my business world too. So we started negotiating the, the number of um, programs we would do, and this year is just a trial period for, you know, let's try one a month for the, for the first year, see how the first 12 go, and then uh, we'll determine going into 2019 and beyond exactly what we can do. Yeah, now you said something interesting there. You said ROT, return on time. I feel like that's probably something that you, or at least maybe a little bit of a, an insight into how you are going to approach this show is that you're going to you're going to approach it from a businessman standpoint, uh, from someone who's trying to be efficient all times, attacking life, so to say. Uh, is is ROT? Is that something that you constantly think about uh, with your life? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it is, uh, Sean. I mean, I I'm very very meticulous on that. I'm, I've got a great team of people around me, but at the end of the day. I'm the widget. There's one Greg Norman, and um, you know, anytime I do something in the business world, um, you know, I have to be because my name's on the door. I have to be front and center on it. So, uh, you know, I'd like to wean myself off of that over a period of time uh, by uh, building a team around me that actually is like-minded and completely understands uh, my mindset about what I want to do with my brand and the legacy of the brand and where we want to position it, not just 10 years from now, but 200 years from now. So. We spent a lot of time talking about it, positioning it, and um, so you know, one day that my ROT is going to be in a position where instead of being uh, CEO, president of the company, I'll just be um, chairman of the company and let other people do all the day-to-day stuff that I'm 
I have been used to doing since 1992-93. Yeah, is that a tricky thing to do? Uh, especially, you know, as you said, your name's on the company. You are the forefront of the company. You know that if in 200 years, Greg Norman Company is something that is continually flourishing, you'll have done some things right. But at, right now is when you need to make a lot of those decisions. Is it is it tricky to to make that kind of those type of decisions that are future facing, but also very current as well? No, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, an example would be, I mean, I've I shifted the direction on my company of quite a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago. From being a sports marketing company, obviously it was logical that it would be a sports marketing company because I was an active sports person. Uh, so there was a lot of endorsement-related stuff. But at the same time, as um, my logo was extremely recognizable on a global basis, some of the business that I had started and owned 100% or joint ventured with other big companies really had um, developed a very, very strong foothold in the in the business world. So I decided to shift away from the sports marketing, um, you know, style of doing business to a, a true B2B business, and and that decision was probably the best decision I've ever made, quite honestly. And and in doing that, I had to transition away from sports marketing-minded people that were in my company because with sports marketing, you think about a three to five year endorsement deals. You don't think about building. You know, legacies and building around your brand, which can take 10 or 12 or 15 years to develop a really good uh, business model and then get it structured and in place and executed upon. So um, that move that I made, that conscious move that I made, uh, has really opened up a plethora of other opportunities uh, in the business world. And that's what I enjoy doing the most today, quite honestly. Uh, never did I think, like with Shark Experience, for example, uh, putting financing a screen on every cart with my partner uh, with Club Car and um, you know getting out there in the, in the content business um, you know the data the data and telematic side of life education all that stuff that uh, just come along um, because of my conscious effort to shift away from sports marketing yeah now it's pretty clear from what you're saying and the show will speak for itself that uh, this is not going to be typical as far as uh, Sirius XM PGA Tour radio shows go. You know, a lot of former players have have made this jump. Ben Crenshaw, Mark Kalkovecchia, Freddie Couples have all had their own radio shows, but this will be different. It's called Attack Life Radio with Greg Norman. And now that that name sounds pretty intuitive, Greg, um, but can you talk to me a little, maybe a little bit about how you came across landing on that name? Uh, Attack Life? Um it just it's just been my motto in life since I was a wee kid to tell you the truth um everything I did I did it with passion everything I did I call it din and dip do it now and do it proper um I just kind of seize the moment if I recognize an opportunity I go after it so the attack life motto has really been you know around my life ever since I was a kid growing up on the great barrier reef so um uh, it was a perfect one because like I said attack life it's a 360 view of my life. And um, so everything I've done in life, I've, like I said, I've seized the moment. I've gone after it pretty hard and um, some have been successful and some have been failures. And I think it's just as important to talk about the failures in business because you learn about those, you understand what mistakes you made and then you hopefully be able to implement uh, corrections to those where going forward, you build better businesses um, from your mistakes of the past. No different than playing golf, right? Totally. If you, if you're hitting a, a bad, uh, if you, if, yeah, there's a shot selection that you've been doing on a, uh, 
on a daily basis that haven't been 100% right. You go and work on that. You find your weakness and make it into a strength. Now, uh, a lot of people were introduced uh, specifically, or at least modernly, to your voice and analysis during the, the 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. I know that that experience may not have been everything you wanted it to be. Um, I imagine you learned a good amount from it, though. Uh, are there aspects maybe from that experience, preparation and interviews and such, that you'll use for producing this show? Oh, sure, yeah. Preparation is everything. Um, one thing about that show and the difference between doing that and, and what I have here is, I mean, I have 100% of the availability of talking about what I want to talk about instead of somebody yelling in your ear, don't say this, don't say that, do do, do this or do that. So, you know, in those situations, it's more of a controlled environment, um, you know, where you want to challenge what you see, you, know, you really can't. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, when I sit down with, with somebody in the future, I'd like, like to be able to challenge their mindset of saying, what's the biggest mistake you ever made and what did you do to correct it? You know, no matter who you are, we all make mistakes. And, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity to being able to do that, no matter who I have on the show. But at the same time, Sean, you know, I've been on the receiving end of uh, interviews for 40 odd years of my life. So to me, the most comfortable way of conducting an interview and the most comfortable way that I react and I give in interviews is like a fireside chat. And if I get into that mode with a, somebody like you, or anybody out there uh, who wants to interview me, I can actually deliver and then sit there and talk and talk and talk about a diversity of topics, if that's if that's the case. Um, and I want my uh, you know, guests on my program, Attack Life Radio, to feel that exactly that way. And and I experienced that with Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka in my first show, two U.S. Open champs getting ready for the U.S. Open at Shinnecock. Great fitness guys, great uh, friends, and um, we sat there and we just chatted about numerous different topics, and they were open, they were free, and they were engaging, and I had my son there as well, who is very, very good friends with both of them, plays a lot of golf with both of them, so it turned out to be a a very intriguing and enjoyable first interview, so I, that's, that was, that's how I want every one of them to uh, follow on from that first one. Yeah, that, that'll be uh, debuting on Monday of next week, that's June 11th uh, at 2 p.m. on Sirius XM. Uh, about that interview, uh, that was, I imagine, one of your first uh, in-studio experiences as a host. Uh, how'd that go? Did you did you enjoy it? Were there any slip-ups? Um, no, actually, there wasn't any slip-ups. I actually thought it was went uh, fairly seamlessly, and um, you know, I, I feel comfortable um, in that environment. Um, you know, obviously being on the receiving end of it, like I said, for 40 plus years of my life, I, I, I know what to expect and how to, um, you know, to dance around certain sensitive questions. And, and uh, you know, you have to respect the, the professionalism of somebody who's interviewing you, right? Um, so it's, they're doing their job to get as much information out of you as possible. It's how they do the interview is what, you know, how you feel comfortable delivering on that. So that's what I did with books and DJ, and, and it became a very uh, easy, comfortable deal. And, and, you know, future guests, I mean, I've already spoken to people like Brett Baer from Fox News, just a really, really dear friend of mine who, you know, uh, his show on in the evenings is just uh, an incredible, you know, fair and balanced show. And just to get him and put him on the other side of the table instead of him and doing the interviews, I'm interviewing him about 
geopolitical stuff about what's going on and what he hears and what what do they leave uh, on the floor and and uh, not take to a show that day. There's got to be uh, so many uh, powerful content um, that's left on the floor that they don't talk about. And what are they? You know, some people may be interested, some people may not be. And then there's yeah, individuals like you know Shaq, for example. I'd love to have him on. I'd love to have Elle McPherson, you know, supermodel out of Australia, one of my dear friends, and uh, what she's done with her life from being a, a supermodel to going into the entrepreneurial world and business, things like that that I think um, you know people would like to hear about and that I'm looking forward to engaging with. Totally. I think a lot of people are going to learn more about you uh, from this than possibly even than they, than they do from the guests. I, I think that uh, everybody that I know in the golf world is aware. Greg Norman is much more than a golfer. Uh, he is a businessman first and foremost uh, in many ways, and his businesses span the gamut. They really do. I think they're going to learn that it's not just owning businesses across industries, but it's also uh, owning business knowledge, I guess, across industries and, and knowledge across numerous topics that have nothing to do with a little white golf ball. No, exactly. Sean, I'll give you an example. Uh, I mean, I just came back from my first trip to Israel, right? And that trip, forget what you read in the newspapers or hear on the news of a nighttime, when you, whether you're based here in the United States or anywhere. You know, you, you get these you know, tidbits of information that may be leaning left or may be leaning right. But when you actually get to the country um, that's you know, in question or being discussed and you talk to the the right people within that country, you actually hear a totally different story. And just to get that message out there, for example, something like that, is say, oh, really? Uh, how does he know that? Or why does he know that? Or how do you validate that? Uh, and, you know, when I meet these fascinating people in the intelligence world and, and hear what they actually do have to say and what they do report on, to certain individuals, and they're allowed to speak it. It's on radar stuff. It's not off radar stuff. Um, you actually can deliver a different message in a more of a concise way, and and that's just one example. For example, um, and what you know, relationships that I have with you know the leader of my country, uh, and my prime minister, an extremely intelligent man, a businessman. Uh, you know, he's he's done a lot uh, before he was prime minister of Australia. Um, just to talk to him about the relationships, and I'm hoping I'll be able to get him on the program, but just things like that where the general public can hear this very relaxed conversational interview, and you'll get some fairly good intelligence about the personality of the individual, what the expectations are of the individual, and where they want to take their life or their country or their business or whatever. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, totally. Now, uh, as I said... Episode one is next week, Monday. As you said, you got Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, the last two U.S. Open champions, joining you on the show, as well as your son. Um, is there anything that you can tease from the the convos with Brooks and DJ that that actually like surprised you? Because I I've sat down with Brooks before for a good amount of time. I've talked to DJ, and, and it I tend to think that when you have these sit down type of interviews, fireside chats, if you will. You, you see a lot more out of these guys. What was something that surprised you from those guys? Um, I think the tightness of their friendship. Now, they both inspire each other. Um, when, you, when you go up in an individual sport like golf, it's sometimes very unusual to have very close relationships with 
two guys are, are at the top, and I'm, you know, DJ is number one in the world, and Brooks is, you know, he's obviously coming off injuries now, so he, his ranking's not where it should be. But to see the inspiration those two give each other, whether it's in the gym or whether it's on the driving range or whether it's just friends going away to the Bahamas just to chill out with each other, I, I think that is just such a breath of fresh air to see that and hear that because in the competitive world of golf, it's a dog-eat-dog um, world where it's mano a mano and, and that's it. And when you walk off the golf course, is, is that person you're beating their brains out or you're beating their brains out? Are they your friends? And how do you go about that friendship? So that was refreshing to see that. I had a little bit of that with Severiano Ballesteros, God rest his soul, um, you know, as we both started to climb the ladder to be number one players in the world um, back, back way back when. You know, he used to come visit me, and Seve was a terrible driver of the golf ball, and, and I was trying to teach him how to drive the golf ball because I was such a great driver of the golf ball, and he was teaching me my short game. And, and quite honestly, my short game was a byproduct of my friendship with Seve. So we both helped each other get to a point. And um, even though he was from Spain and I was from Australia, you know, we weren't neighbors like um, Brooks and DJ are in um, Tequesta, Florida. They're, um, you know, we, whenever we had a chance to get together or play practice rounds or chat about things, um, we did. I think that's awesome. Uh, I, I, I got one quick question about that. Uh, you know, the guys in America, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, uh, these guys kind of come up playing together through American Junior Golf Association. There's a lot of camaraderie that starts early now. Daniel Berger, Ali Schneiderjans, all these guys have grown up playing together. Was that difficult to infiltrate as an outsider to come into the American game? Like, is that part of the reason why Seve made a lot of sense for you as a friend is because you were both internationals kind of coming to America? Did it make sense that you guys became friends that way, or did you not have many other people that were going to be as open with you? Um, look, a, a great question. Um, I think probably the best way to answer that is yes. Uh, when you're coming in from an international perspective into um, you know, home turf, of course you're going to have a lot of bias. Um, if you start beating the hometown boys, uh, there's going to be a lot of bias. There's going to be you know, the crowd trying to pull for their homeland guys. I love it. I, I, I get that. I completely understand that. It's no different when I played in Australia for a few tournaments every year. Um, the support was all my way, and um, anybody who came there, like a Seve or a Faldo or any, any American who came down there, was like, you know, come on, Greg, come on, Greg. So I get it. I understand that. And I think that's a, a great, great place to be. And I absolutely love seeing the way, you know, the Spieths of the world and the, and the Justin Thomas of the world and the Ricky Fowlers of the world and those guys just take off to Baker's Bay or wherever they go in the Bahamas and have some time off together. I think that's, that's so, um, it, it's so liberating for, for them because it's nice to know that if you're not doing well on the golf course or in a tournament or you're going through a bit of a rut, you have support team out there outside your inner circle of maybe your fiance, your girlfriend, or your wife, or your caddy, or your trainers, or, or whatever. You have the support team of, of your, um, you know, your contemporaries that who want to go out there and just help you become a get out of whatever rut you're in. I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, they'll all be at Shinnecock uh, in just one week. Now, earlier this week, uh, Adam Scott, the guy you know very well, he had to qualify via sectional qualifying. He made the cut uh, by just one stroke in his sectional qualifier. 
Um, before we get back to the show, I want to ask you, not necessarily specifically about Adam, but what it's kind of like. Uh, Adam's not necessarily at this point in his life, but at some point, every golfer gets to a point where they start dropping down the world rankings. Uh, they all do. And I'm just wondering what it's like to be in those shoes of someone who used to be number one. Is it maddening to kind of see those skills maybe erode a little bit? Was it tough for you? Had you already accepted that that was going to happen? Because, you know, there are guys like that right now in their 40s that are, they're just staying alive, hoping that the Champions Tour will be ready to bail them out. Um, I say a big long arm on that one because it is inevitable. Um, you have to face the realization that uh, time is your enemy. And as time goes by, things change in your body. But also got to come to the realization life changes too. Forget what happens on the golf course and what your, your body reaction is to hitting millions of golf balls and spending, sacrificing time away and, and all this stuff. But it's, it's what happens off the golf course. Adam has got a, a beautiful family. He's very comfortable in life. Um, you know, we're just talking about Adam, so I'm just you know, focusing on him right now. So he's very, very comfortable about you know, what is happening off the, off the golf course. So that can be a little bit distracting too because when you don't have all that, your single-minded focus is practice, go play golf, win golf tournaments, go practice, go play golf, win golf tournaments, and take a little bit of time off here and there to do what you need to do. So it, it's, there's another dynamic that comes into play. And so sometimes that can be, you know, a good thing. And sometimes that can be a bad thing, you know? So at the end of the day, it's, it's that fine line balance that every athlete has to go through as they get older in life and start uh, getting other things around them. Was there a specific point in your career where those other things around you first, like when it clicked, when it said, okay, those are starting to become more important than golf right now? Oh, absolutely. I, I had a different vision than most other players, I can tell you that. I mean, my vision is, you know, I didn't want to be a ceremonial golfer. Um, but at the same time, I had already developed a really good brand. You know, my logo is a very recognizable logo, logo as I've mentioned before. And I just didn't want to, you know, hang around golf just to hang around golf. I wanted to build off of what I'd learned from branding, from marketing, um, from being able to be, you know, successful putting bums on seats when, you know, bringing people in through the gate to watch me play golf. So I wanted to cap capitalize on that. So what I did was I sat back and said, okay, my first nine of life was, um, my front nine of life was golf. And my back nine of life is probably going to be more important if I can, if I went out in 32, I want to come back in 30. So, I mean, I, I really focused on that and to build it. And, and, you know, when I, 1992, 93, when I decided to head out on my own and uh, do my own thing, I knew it was going to be a 15 year minimum uh, process before I would get any solid foundation underneath me. And, and there it is today. So a lot of people ask me questions. Athletes say, Oh, you know, how come you did what you did? And can I do it? Can I make it successful? And I said, well, if you want to, you know, wait 10 or 15 years and build a foundation underneath you and build the right people around you, yeah, go for it. It just doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, they have to stay, you know, true to their form and true to their beliefs if, if that's what they really want to chase after. So at the age of 40, you know, when you make these decisions, it's not going to be um, really return on your investment and return on your time is not going to really be showing through until you're in your early 50s. 
Yeah. Now, a lot of that, what you just said, is something that people will get on your radio show. Uh, and you listed a couple of the names of, of, of guests you've targeted for future shows. It, it's a very fun, diverse list. Uh, how exactly are you going about choosing these guests? Are you kind of using your uh, maybe just friends from a former past or how are you kind of locking in on who you want on the show? Um, a bit of, bit of both is pretty much my Rolodex. I mean, I've got a very, very healthy one to say the least. Yeah. And, um, and, and again, it's, I think, sitting back and talking to my people um, you know, the director of my corporate communications, Jane McNeil, I sit down with her and say, Jane, look, I just noticed this, and this is what I think we should talk, focus on, whether it's relevant by the time the next show comes around. You know, let's, let's see what happens, but get, get ready for it. Because, and then there's something made dramatically happen that I'm uh, you know, very, very interested in, and then you might drop all that and then start focusing on something new. So, you know, it's it just... You just got to be ready to be adaptable to whatever the show could be. Um, but at the same time, when you start getting inviting celebrities and very, very powerful, important people, you've got to be locked in on those uh, subjects and just work around that and just make sure the show comes off the way you want it to come off. All right. Well, let's do let's do a quick little exercise of a top uh, dream guest. If you've got three names that you would have list as fantasy guests, who would they be? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I would love to talk to um, you know, any any one of the presidents that I know. I mean, from President Bush 41, I know he's, uh, you know, he's a little, uh, it, it would be impossible to talk to him. But, you know, from his um, wealth of information from being the head of the CIA to being the president of the United States, uh, would be a fascinating one. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, I would love to talk to her because I think she's one of the most super intelligent women I've ever met in my life. Um, you know, and then, then I can head off to you know, CEOs of the world. I think Jack Welsh, former head of uh, GE, I think his insight into business from a street smart perspective is just, you know, second to none, and I've learned a lot from him. Roger Penske, another one who would come to my mind. So, as more I open my mind up and keep going down different avenues, the more the more I get excited about it. And then, obviously, you know, successful celebrities, um, you know, Jessica Alba, you know, what she's done. Uh, I know her. And she, I know she's done a very, very job, good job with her brand, Honest. And just to be able to talk to her about what she's done. And when I spent time with her in China a year and a half, two years ago, we were discussing, you know, of different businesses and we were discussing honest and stuff like that and i would love to follow up with her on that so there, there's just a, a complete diverse cross-section of individuals that i would love to be able to talk to yeah that's a good list uh before i let you go i got i got one letter of question i'm just fascinated by is that um when you think about the the biggest names in in golf golf legends um and and that have branched out into making brands you, you think about jack nicholas maybe Gary Player, obviously yourself. Uh, you guys definitely try as much as you can to branch out into other industries. I know that you are personally, maybe a goal of yours is, is kind of trying to be, I don't know, maybe get away from the whole golf experience and, and focus on just being a, a, a gigantic brand in general. I'm just amazed at, at how much you guys end up doing. You guys hustle. You have so many th- you know, irons in the fire everywhere, and you stay relevant. 
between course design and appearances and businesses. Like I'm, why do you think that is that, that people that are super competitive as golfers get to a point where they want to continue doing so much? I mean, you, you're not, as you said, time is, is your enemy. Is that something that you think about constantly is like how much time you have left and how many things you still have left to do? No, no, I don't, I don't think about how much time I have left. I think it's, and I can only speak for myself in this situation. Um, I think it's just a byproduct of the 40 years or 30 years of being at the top of the game of golf, playing the game of golf the way we have played it on a global basis. We're very singular-minded in our focus and our input of what we need to put in to get out. Um, so it's no different when you walk away from the golf course. The same type of input needs to be put in the commitment the due diligence the understanding the building a, a white paper then building a business model then executing on that business model and following up on that business model and making sure that um, whatever as you get looking out into the future each year is just improving and improving and improving on whatever that model you build around um, so at the end of the day, it's I think it's really a byproduct, as far as I'm concerned, of the, the commitment and dedication that I had to myself and to the game of golf, and that, that same commitment and dedication that I have uh, to that I did have to golf is there for my brand and there for my future. And and as I build, build it out, when I'm dead and buried and there's daisies on top of me, um, you know I know that what I did was the right thing to create the legacy for this thing to live on in perpetuity, whatever that is. And if I don't give it my best attempt, then I know I failed. And if I didn't give it my best attempt on the golf course, I know I failed. So um, I think that's probably the way I look at it. Definitely a healthy mindset that you can apply to just about anything we can leave it at that for now the show is attack life radio with greg norman it's debuting next monday june 11th at 2 p.m thank you greg yeah thanks very much buddy i'm looking forward to it thank you for everything that's it for this episode of the golf.com podcast check out greg's show if that little discussion with him is any indication he's going to be covering a lot more than just golf it will be a golf show in many ways he will talk to plenty of golfers obviously his first two are brooks kepka and dustin johnson but he's going to talk to a lot of other people as well and hit on a lot of other topics. That's it for now. If you like this conversation, let me know about it on Twitter at Sean underscore Zak. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. And please, 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 please offer us your best rating on iTunes, Spotify, or, or whatever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zak. Sean Zock.